My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, everybody. That was the most unorganized good morning ever, I think. That was fantastic. It's like we're in a, like in a canyon. It just kind of kept echoing. And, it, and it, the funny thing is it went right from the left. So throwing me off here. So. Well, welcome to our Sunday school. Uh, we're in Obadiah today. And uh, today we finish up Obadiah, which I'm pretty sure is as fast as I've ever finished a series uh, to start a new year. So three weeks in Obadiah, we're in route. Uh, I was telling somebody online the other day that I feel almost like I've mailed it in because my teacher notes for this series are only 27 pages long and I'm I'm used to having longer series for this and uh, it's been nice to to have a short series and then hop in and hop out so if you got your handout uh, it does have a staple Uh, we're three for three in this series with staples so uh, go ahead and grab that and open up to Obadiah so the first week in this series we looked at the first nine verses last week we looked at the next seven verses and today we finish by looking at the last five and if you've if you've got your hand out there, you see the green text. This is from uh, Comiskey's work uh, from a few decades ago, the Minor Prophets. Uh, this kind of two big sections, if you will, the, the three sentences in verses 2 through 9 uh, and the pronouncement of guilt in 10 through 14. And then we transition into this broader sentencing of the nations in 15 and 16. And then today's text, this promise of restoration. So... I'm going to read through Obadiah, and I want you to listen. So last week I had you listen for, where was Jesus? This week I want you to listen for the emotional change points, because I think Obadiah's tone changes and shifts as we go through. Uh, And I think it shifts because he's got a bit of a different audience that he is communicating with, uh, but there's a lot going on. So, Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is on high. You who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, And though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasure shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you, and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and from an understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty man, O Timon, shall be dismayed, to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. 
But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up among them those who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is upon all the nations it is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So did you hear it? Did you hear the change points there, the emotionally altering spots where things shifted? I tried to amplify it a bit with my reading, but um, I, think it's, I think it's actually very difficult to read certain portions of Scripture blandly. Um, and, and God help us if we read uh, children's stories with more enthusiasm than we do the Scriptures themselves. Um, I'm convinced this is one of the reasons why kids believe the Bible is boring, because we read it to them in a very boring and dull manner. Now, I'm not saying we have to have theme music and do all the voices, but uh, there's a way in which to make something that is truly alive sound like it is truly dead. Uh, so let us be aware of that. All right, so uh, what is, what are any literary or structural observations to today's text, verses 17 through 21, the, that kind of very last couple of stanzas of this Hebrew poetry? Anything... Anything that's different about the audience or the time or the approach or the mechanisms that are used or just open it up to any observations about 17 through 21. So Darla brought up the word shall, so we'll jump to the uh, are there any repeated words? So we'll just go straight there. Shall shows up 15 times in the New King James. So that's your blank back there in the repeated words. There's not a lot of, did you feel ambiguity? Like, like I'm, not, I'm not really sure this is going to happen. I've, Obadiah is looking out over, um, over history, and I think we had talked about, um, we had talked about the different, uh, I'm going to show you, we talked about, you know, the farther the prophet looks into the future, the prophet may not know how far out these things are, but he is convinced that at some point these things are going to happen, right? I mean, there, there's not a, well, you know, there's 78% probability that this is going to occur. You know, Obadiah is not giving a weather forecast. 
There's not 70% chance of rain today. Obadiah is saying, judgment shall come. And it shall be thorough. And it shall result in Israel getting back land that God had given to her. Um, Not a lot of ambiguity. So are we looking backward or are we looking forward in this particular section? Definitely forward here, right? So Obadiah, we think, has been looking... Uh, could have been working backward a little bit to some of the judgment, to things that uh, Edom had done, could be looking forward to it. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to, to look at this from a timeline perspective, but this section today, 17 through 21, is definitely a day looking forward to the day when Edom's behavior will be dealt with. So a couple of words here I want to walk through. What do the words mean? Um, verse 17, uh, but on Mount Zion, Zion's a mountain in Jerusalem, uh, just to kind of give us some perspective on maps. So if you've got a, a Bible with maps in the back, flip back there to the maps in the back, and I want to kind of walk through some of these as we go through some of the words. Um, I think the table Bible actually has a pretty good one. Um, and when you talk about maps in the Old Testament, there's a few different sections to kind of think about. So there's the the map before the kingdom set up, which you really don't get a lot of those because there's not a lot of boundaries there to really talk about. Uh, there's the map from kind of the time of Saul and David and Solomon where Israel has got some boundaries and there's specific land borders and they're a nation. Uh, and then there's usually a map of, uh, sometimes there's a map of around when Daniel happens or when the minor prophets happen uh, to give you, see, give you an idea of what happens five, six hundred years later. And then there's almost always a map of Jesus' time. So I I don't want to look at the map of Jesus' time because it's going to be a hyper-focused look at just the city of Jerusalem. That's not where we're at. I want to back out probably to a map one or two before that to where there's anywhere from 1,000 B.C. to 500 B.C. So if that's your timeline on your map, that's the one we want to be looking at. All right, so where is Zion? Zion's in uh, Jerusalem. So there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. And this is the same word used back in verse 16, this this holiness concept that God is going to set this apart and be a specific place for a specific thing. The house of Jacob, this is the, the two sons that are arguing, that, that had the, uh, the disagreements way back when, and their tribes are still arguing today, the house of Jacob and Esau. The house of Jacob shall possess or to seize upon their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire. Now, he does something literary here in verse 18 What's the, what's the visual imagery in 18? Fire and burning and flame and these ideas that things are going to be consumed and, and burnt up. So when we think about fire in the Bible, what kind of words pop into our heads? Judgment, right? I mean, this is the, the wrath of God being poured out. Uh, you think about the end of all things. The hell is actually cast into this lake of fire, which is... I mean, it's just an utterly terrifying thought that there could be a lake of fire. I, I don't, it's just it's horrific to think about. So earlier in Obadiah, Obadiah used language about wine and drinking and swallowing and this, this wrath that is associated with God's pouring out. And then now he's using this imagery of fire. So these are all very uh, straightforward poetical devices. So the house of Jacob shall be a fire or a fiery flaming hot thing, and the house of Joseph a flame. Uh, the house of Esau shall be stubble. 
So if you put stubble in a fire, but straw in a fire, what happens? You don't have straw anymore, right? I mean, it's, it's just, it's going to be consumed. They shall kindle, they shall burn hotly them and devour or eat up them. And no survivor. So look at the word survivor in verse 18. And then look back at Obadiah verse 14. Where's the, ver where's the word survivor in verse 14? You see it anywhere? Yeah. Them who remained. Uh, this idea that there are, uh, there are some that made it out. Right? This idea that, and, and what about what was happening in verse 14? Who was the oppressor in verse 14? Edom was, and there were, who were the survivors in verse 14? Israelites. And who are the survivors in verse 18? There's no survivors in verse 18. So Obadiah is using this same word to say, this is what you did to God's people, and this same wrath is going to come back on you. That doesn't sound like anything in the New Testament, right? It doesn't sound like Galatians 6-7, whatsoever men sows that shall he also reap. Not at all, right? And then he finishes verse 18 with what phrase? For the Lord has spoken. And you see the quotation mark right there before that, for the Lord has spoken. So this kind of ends that big extended quote from the Lord. So it started back in really the end of verse 1 and goes all the way through verse 18. It's this extent. So Obadiah's job was to say what God said. So verse 19, let's look at your map. You ready? Now, we're just going to do, we're going to be directionally correct here. It's a phrase, I work in finance, and this is a phrase we use in finance sometimes. We're, I, don't, I don't need to know the ninth decimal place level of accuracy. I need to know what direction we are headed, okay? So just kind of big, broad brushstrokes. So I'm going to be asking you north, south, east, or west. All right, there's some of the blanks that we fill in here. So verse 19, the south. What do you feel like? I feel like south, right? Okay, south is your blank. There you go. <clears throat> We're going to start off easy. I think Obadiah starts off easy, actually. He kind of eases us into this. And without a map, you, you still get the idea that God's going to bring the land back into the ownership of, or the, the kingdom of his, of his kingdom and give uh, possession to the Israelites. But with a map, you, you see the, the thoroughness of this. So the south shall possess. This is that same word back in verse 17. Uh, you'll see this word over and over and over in this particular section. Shall possess the mountains of Esau. And Esau was a high up space. And the lowland shall possess Philistia. And so you're looking at your map. So north, south, east, or west on Philistia. West, that's exactly right. So Philistia is uh, over here. I don't think it shows on this one. Um, yeah, yeah, King of Philistine. King. There we go. Uh, so over here on the west. So the, the Philistines were these uh, seafaring people. They, they, did, they had skills that the Israelites didn't necessarily have uh, in these waterways. So God's going to take the south land back. He's going to take the west land back. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim. Where is Ephraim in your... I'll give you... I'll give, this is a tough one. Ephraim's in the center, right? Just kind of in the smack dab in the center of things. So this map doesn't show Ephraim, but Ephraim's kind of here in the middle. 
of this whole big space. So you could put center or middle. And the fields of Samaria. So this is kind of going to be northeast. You, get the, you see what he's doing here? Let me give you the south. Let me give you the west. Let me give you the middle. Let me give you the northeast. And then what have we not hit yet? We really hadn't hit east yet, right? So, uh, so that's where Benjamin comes in. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. This is a region east of the Jordan. So in the geography, this is a really lousy map for these particular things. I just wanted you to see the map that you were. This is illustrative of the one that you should be looking for in your Bible. So some of you are looking at the PowerPoint like, I don't, I'm not following your picture. It's a lousy picture. Yes, that's exactly right. <clears throat> so in this geography lesson, Obadiah is communicating the comprehensiveness of God's judgment. And remember, judgment's not just about punishing the bad. Judgment is also about restoring justice and possession to those that actually have it. Okay? So verse 20, And the captives, or the exiles of this host, this army of the children of Israel, shall possess the land of the Canaanites. As far as Zarephath, the captives of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad. Now, does anybody have a... Uh, an idea of where Sepharad is. Where's Sepharad? It's in Assyria, actually. So you, you um, the Assyrian Empire is way up north, and the Assyrian Empire was huge. I mean, they were a they were literally a world power at one point and dominated tens of thousands of square miles. I mean, it was just a massive, massive world power. So when we talk about Assyria. This very easily could be just those that are scattered elsewhere. And doesn't that sound like God going to come and gather up His and restore to them, even those that are scattered. So those of you that are on the edges, on the fringes, out there feeling alone, in captivity, God is going to do what He promised for them as well. It is, it is a beautiful picture and he uses geography to do it it's like my one c in high school was geography Ugh. i hate geography it makes no sense what like why would you stop the border of this country there it's because during negotiations two people couldn't get along any more than there that's that's why things are where they are right so the captives of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. So we're going to bring you back, specifically the Negev. And you may see Negev um, in a lot of your maps. You'll see Negev. Uh, but it's just a, a, another word for the district of uh, Judah, the south region. Then saviors. Now, I put the Hebrew word here, Yasha. You see the Hebrew word there in verse 21? Yasha. It's in italics. What does that kind of, sort of sound like? Yeshua, right? Which is what? Jesus. Hmm. Interesting choice of names, huh? It would have meant something to those that were around Jesus at the time. Because his name is very close to Savior. Then Savior shall come, shall... Uh, and look at the definitions for this word. It's unreal how... So many of them are going up. 
They fetch up. They exalt up. They leap up. They lift up. They light up. They mount up. They, they put up. They shoot forward. They stir up to Mount Zion because Zion's on a high place. And what does he do when he gets there? To judge the mountains of Esau. So we've talked about giving the land back and now we're going to bring judgment to the very place that Esau was and the kingdom shall be the Lord's, Jehovah's. So I want to ask a quick question then we'll kind of come back to this mountain idea, but do you see why that when the Messiah showed up that everybody was looking for a political and military ruler? Because if you hear language like this and you are looking for the Savior who is going to come and restore the land and have the judgment of God be present again, you naturally are going to think, I need a military solution for this. And when Jesus came and he tells Peter to put away your sword, time out. Like, how are we going to do that by putting away the sword? And what Peter didn't understand was it's just like, not yet. Right? God is the most patient being in the universe by far. And he is going to let these things play out. Now, I have a question, actually, uh, and I don't know that I can answer it or not, but I, I wonder how far in the future Obadiah actually thought he was seeing. Because a lot of the prophets thought, like, here. Because <laughs> remember, they didn't necessarily have access to all of the other prophets to see how long some of these prophecies are going to take to flesh out. So you've got to put yourself in his timeline. And especially if he's six, seven, eight hundred BC, he didn't see the majority of the other minor prophets. Yes, sir. I I don't know that he would have distinguished between the first and the second coming. I think what he saw was this definitive, like I'm going back to all that, this, it shall happen. I don't want to muddy the shall water. I want to muddy the, like, when water, right? So I, I think we want to be very open-handed and probably very kind to Obadiah because God didn't give him a date, right? I mean, imagine you're going in to the enemy and you're going to declare this message without a firm date. Well, if I'm going to... I use the word harass kind of somebody. I'd like to know when the military is going to show up to back up my words, <laughs> right? Like in a week, are we talking a week? We're talking two weeks? And so far, we think it's been about 2,700 years. Okay. <laughs> this, this. There you go. That's right. That's right. Yep. And then, and then what did Jonah do at the end of the book? He pouted because the judgment didn't come. <laughs> Ugh. This suicidal missionary that goes out that then pouts at the end of the book. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> That's right. That's true. If he'd have been a little older, he would have seen it. That's right. Who's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get Jonah more than Obadiah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Ninevites were evil, wicked, horrible. 
What Edom did was Edom didn't intercede and they plundered a little when somebody else that was a world power came in. Nineveh was like, Nineveh was bad, horrible. You know what country Nineveh was associated with, right? Assyria, that's exactly right. So when Obadiah says, I'm going to pull you out of this Assyrian nation, <laughs> he's actually talking bad about the Assyrians too and saying that they're not going to be able to stop the judgment of God when this reconvening occurs. It's, Obadiah is a bold prophet who is a brilliant poet. Um, but my question is, did he see as far as Revelation eleven fifteen? So, you think he saw that far? Exactly right. That's exactly right. Fulfillment is in God's category. What was, what was Obadiah's job? That's right. Faithfulness in communication. Is, is there any parallel, and I don't want to make Obadiah about us, but is there any parallel in our responsibility versus God's responsibility relative to the gospel message? Is our responsibility the effectiveness of the gospel message? No, absolutely not. Our responsibility is the consistent proclamation. Obadiah was called to say what God told him to say. We are called to say what God tells us to say. There happens to be a judgment at the end of both of those. So there is some similarity, but just like Obadiah didn't know exactly when that was going to... I don't know when the second coming is going to happen. It's a shall, though. It's not a might. So it's a shall. Don't, don't miss the shall. All right, so repeated words. Uh, what was the blank there? Shall is the word, yes. And we also see possess and house, and Esau and mountains, and all these things. So has there been anything in the news uh, this week about judgment? Just think back over the week. Anything nationally about judgment? This is my new favorite GIF. I don't know if you remember or not, but this is the judge in the... I think he's a former doctor. They've already stripped him of his doctor, right? Okay, so former doctor, uh, whatever his name. I don't care what his name is. Um, and he wrote a statement to be submitted into the record, and she reads it, as is, I think, required probably by process or law. And this is what she does to his reasoning, his excuse, his justification his whatever and when I saw this I thought wow it's pretty like uh, amazing uh, and then my second thought was this has got to be what God will do one day to anybody who brings him anything other than Jesus no that is not sufficient because the Edomites were determined to rely on their high and lofty position their military strategy, their alliances, 
with other nations, their strength, they, their uh, presumed wisdom, their subtlety in battle when their enemy got taken away and we swooped in and did what we needed to do, their artful negotiation, and the text says judgment is coming. And, and the amazing thing to me, as to your first application point, uh, is God uses beautiful things. And you may think this is an odd place to go, but what is the literary device that God uses to communicate this message? Poetry. Exactly right. He uses poetry to communicate judgment. And I think, really? That is not the vehicle that I would have thought would deliver this. I would think an Abram's tank would deliver this message, right? It is spray-painted on the side of it as we crush you and roll over. No, not at all. It is poetry. And I'll tell you what I have done with a lot of poetry in my life uh, is I have avoided poetry. Uh, it, is, it is highly mathematical, believe it or not. Uh, in both of the um, resource books that I used to help with this series, um, they broke down the meter and the uh, chiastic structure and the stanzas, and, and it was just incredibly mathematical. And I was embarrassed because I understood none of it. And it was all single digits in addition. And it, it was just, I had never seen anything like this before. It was unbelievably beautiful. So God uses beautiful things. So I think what we ought to do with that, and I'm, I'm really kind of talking to me with this, number one. If this helps you, that's great. If it doesn't, I don't really care. Um, engage with beautiful things. Don't, don't avoid something that is beautiful just because you think, well, I, I, there's not any really truth in that. Yes, there is. Oh, yes, there is. And then what's the point of number two? I don't want us to miss the overall message of, <clears throat> of Obadiah. Judgment shall come to Edom, and deliverance shall come to God's people. McComiskey wrote something. He said, God's people will now receive what was once theirs. It was lost through disobedience, but regained through grace. Because what did, did God's people do anything to get the judge to act in their favor? They just existed as God's people, right? The follow, this follows the archetypal pattern of salvation history. What was lost through Adam is regained through Christ. We disobey, and then Jesus says, and I love you. And it's beautiful. So what do we do with that? I will tell you, uh, this is my Indiana Jones quote, uh, choose wisely. <clears throat> Choose your side and choose your behaviors on that side. So don't, don't quit yet. Don't quit yet. <clears throat> Look down at the extra credit section. You see the extra credit? Is there an extra credit section on the back? So I think your homework is back there too. So Josh is going to come to us next week and talk about Acts 10 and 11. I'm excited about that. So you got some homework for Acts 10 and 11. But your extra credit this week is to bring up a conversation with anybody you want to outside of this room about Obadiah. I read this little book this week, and it was really neat. And it talked about 
There you go. If you start a conversation with, I read a book this week. Really? Like a whole book in a week? Sure did. It was awesome. Nobody's got to say how long the book is, and it takes four and a half minutes to read. It's okay. Don't get into details like that. They can read Obadiah too. It'll be all right. They might have some questions. You pull out your handouts and show them where the map is and be all right. But this is your extra credit assignment this week. I want you to understand that I hope that we don't believe that we just come to Sunday school so that we can hear a nice lesson, hopefully a nice lesson, and understand something more about the Bible, and then we close our Bibles and tuck our sheets away, and yay, that's it. Like if, if all we do in here stays in here, then I am colossally wasting our time. Like radically, totally wasting our time. This has to go outside. This has to make some type of a difference. And I think it will. Um, so I challenge you to talk to somebody about Obadiah this week. Early today. Oh, this is not a new leaf. Don't get used to this. Do not expect this going forward. All right, so at your tables is a weekly update. Uh, and some of you have already put down your prayer requests. So there's a section for prayer requests for this week only. And for ongoing prayer requests, if you put something in the ongoing, it'll show up in the right-hand side in the ongoing until we find out that it should no longer be ongoing. So uh, take a look at those ongoing prayer requests. Pray over those. Uh, we have a Sunday school lunch next Sunday. Uh, we'll be sending an email out with some details around that. Uh, so just keep that in your minds. If you want to pencil that in on your calendars next Sunday there, that will be good. It will be good. It will, be, it will not be McDonald's. Uh, did, you sent me that text, right? Yes, okay, excellent. I got a text message this week, and it was a double quarter pounder with cheese. Yep. And it was, ooh, so good. I was like, those are not the words I would use to describe that, but okay, sure, absolutely. Sure, that's, that's it, that's it. All right, so make sure you've got your name at the bottom of those uh, weekly updates as well, and after you have prayed at the table, you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday School, guys. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.